0: I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace.
1: I'm Mitchell Boone, and you're listening to The Day After Sunday.
0: A brief but nerdy conversation about yesterday's worship at White Rock United Methodist Church.
1: We talk about what caught our attention, stories we forgot to tell, and ways that we saw the Holy Spirit moving
0: among us.
2: Good morning. And I'm Phil Dickey. I'm Phil Dickey. (laughs) (laughs) Love it.
1: We gotta get you in though, even if it's just a bad edit, right?
2: <laughs> I feel like what I'm doing with that is a bad edit.
0: Yeah. Just the you edit on the fly. That.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi everybody.
1: Good morning. It's a Monday.
2: It's a Monday. Also known as the day after Sunday. It's That's true. It's funny how that works every week.
1: <laughs> every week and doesn't stop. So we are in the. Uh, I guess we're halfway through now we're halfway through a new worship series entitled being white rock. We're looking at, um, kind of the essentials of what it means to be the church. How are we becoming beloved community? Um, and if you haven't had a chance to go back and, and watch, um, or participate in worship, you can do so on our Facebook page, on our YouTube page. If you're not subscribed to our Instagram channel, you can Subscribe. I don't know who's listening to this podcast who also uh, doesn't follow us on Instagram, but uh, just so you know, it's at White Rock UMC, not at WRUMC, which is uh, a bit of a problem for us.
0: It's an old account that Mitchell can't figure out how to take down.
1: Yeah, it's like stuck in. Uh, the, Instagram. The, you remember yeah. back when Facebook had this issue when people would pass away and they didn't know what to do with their accounts? I feel like that's kind of the what we're trying to do with this at WRUMC. It's
2: a, Except, White Rock has not passed away.
1: No, no, no. Just the just the <laughs> handle. Just the handle. Like a yeah. phoenix,
0: we have been reborn.
2: <laughs> there you go.
1: We rise from the ashes.
2: So. Yeah, it's, it's funny because Dexter posted yesterday after worship, and he tagged WRUMC. I was like, why did it not come up on our account? And then I realized, oh, it's because that's not our account anymore. <laughs> So if you're going to tag us, be sure you tag the right one.
1: Yeah. At White Rock UMC.
2: Yep. Cool. It's weird to think that we're halfway through, you know, I, so I have never spent a lot of time on worship teams, like building worship sermons like this. And so you put so much like energy and time and thought into a series. And then all of a sudden it's, it's over very quickly. And you're already like moving on to the, like what's coming up after this series. And it's like, but we're, we're just in the meat of it, you know, like, and it's already almost done.
1: I know. That's true. It,
2: Which I know, Mitchell, you get bored easy on.
1: Yeah. I would say that the pace is probably a little faster. I'm a, I'm a little antsy about getting in and out of series, but no, there's an incredible amount of work that goes in. I mean, th- all the hours that you know, let's say Rebecca spends like writing liturgies and crafting worship, and it's like in real time, and then it's gone, yeah. right? It's not mm-hmm. gone, gone, but it's. Um, we hope that it like sparks something, and it yeah. it creates a seed, and that gets planted in us as we participate in worship. But that's why worship can't just be about consuming, right? Because yeah. um, because it's not a cheap product that we're that we're creating.
2: At the lowest price, lowest lowest bid. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was good. So yeah, so we're we're halfway through week two was this this concept of believe following belong and you know, I think we talked about it a little bit in the halftime show before worship started. But you know, you talked about belong being the foundation, and then believe kind of being this threshold experience. And, and I love the the concept of we're kind of building something here. You know, we've we've talked about this series being a really good introductory series if you've never been a part of our church or been a part of a church or part of a beloved community or like you know, what a faith community. And like we're we're kind of building something here um, along the way. Not to say that if you are a part this doesn't have anything for you. It totally does. But if if, if you to play out the metaphor a little bit, right, if last week was the foundation, what where does this look like for you then as the the continuing on that metaphor of what we're building and crossing that threshold and how that how does that play out?
0: Yeah, it was a little bit of a mixed metaphor too, because Mitchell spent a lot of time building the house and then the last hymn we broke down the walls. <laughs> <laughs> A
1: little bit it's a remodel it's a remodel, right
2: Sometimes you got to break down a wall inside to make it better right
1: but but actually I, I like it I like how because we're constantly building right we're never finished with the home and mm-hmm. the minute we get finished with the home is a minute we become static and we really start sliding on um, on our invitation to for folks across the threshold It's an unintentional metaphor I guess you know it like kind of came to be as I was struggling as I've, I mentioned to, to y'all like, you know, this sermon didn't come naturally to me, um, which I know. You know, some of my some of our haters out there are going to say that's that's the price you pay for not um, not putting a lot of stock in justification. But I it's not that, right? I do think the the justification is a really important thing, right? Like I've gotten emails from folks that you say I don't talk about sin enough, and I don't talk about people accepting Jesus as their personal savior, right? Um, but I
2: hold on. I feel I, feel like I get to unpack this more. I, 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 you're kind of getting there but, but back up a little bit more and talk about the, the Wesleyan process of salvation and I know we've talked about prevenient Grace a little bit and the idea of what that was with the idea of belonging but, and then we're going to get to the idea of sanctification and becoming and that kind of stuff but, but I think you have to really do a little bit more unpacking on mainly because I saw Rebecca's face like be like what? Like, like, and I do, I do I think this is this is conversations that happen at a deeper level often but I think if you aren't familiar with the Wesleyan process of salvation you're going to be like what, what are you talking about justification?
1: yeah it's a fancy word uh that's used to really talk about being made righteous right or being made um whole that it's essentially uh forgiveness of sins we look at this as a moment in time often um there are a lot of people that can tell us the day and the date you know the date and the time and the place in which they accepted jesus as a lord of their life or personal savior And I actually think that those moments are really important. I I don't want to discredit them. I think that when we move into a moment of justification, it is a, a pivotal moment in our life, right? And we have, our lives are made up of these pivotal moments. Obviously, that's one of them. Maybe one of the most important ones, maybe the most important one. But for those of us who don't have those moments, who the process has been far more gradual. It's Wesleyan's, uh, Wesley's understanding, John Wesley, right? The, the unintentional founder of the Methodist church, um, essentially says that there's, there's grace that goes before us, grace that like welcomes us into a, a recognition of, of who Jesus is and grace that then leads us kind of on the journey. And that threefold process is uh, spurred by grace, that's understood as prevenient grace, uh, justifying grace and sanctifying grace. Um, and so prevenient grace is that grace that, that allows us to belong. If we can't even put our fingers on what that means or what that feels like, it's, um, it's God at work in our lives before we're even aware of who God is justifying is like believing, crossing the threshold. It's going to look different for a lot of folks. Um, and then sanctification is, is what we'll talk about next week really is becoming, how do we become a better, um, version of, of, of Jesus? How do we, how do, how does our life kind of catch up with that decision, uh, that we've, we've made to follow Jesus in our heart, right? Our life usually lags behind what we believe in our heart and, uh, that's cause we're human.
2: And the the emphasis being is that often you'll hear people talk about that, that one time, that one moment, that one instance where they were like saved or something, right? Like that's often the terminology that's used. And like you said, it's not to discredit that, but but almost in this Wesleyan idea, it's that that's not a one and done thing, but that's something that can, can happen continually and repeatedly and probably should happen continually and repeatedly, right? Is it like we are continually becoming aware of our, our sinfulness that continues to need to be transformed and improved and, um, redeemed, if you will, um, not just a, a one, not, not a one-saved-always-saved mentality, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly that's not Wesleyan, Yeah. right? We don't believe that once-saved-always-saved. We believe it's so a process.
2: Probably the reason you get criticism for it is because that's what people have grown up with often, and that's what they've understood salvation to be.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, it's far more fluid, and that's why the first film was like, perfect, right? Because when we make we make things static. It allows us to become dogmatic and doctrinal. And all of a sudden, the threshold that is pretty broad in Romans, if we're being honest, Paul's, Paul's being as broad as he can be. Um, becomes more and more narrow, and I know a lot of and, and there's scripture to back up a narrow path, but the truth is like the gate is far broader than we usually want it to be, and that's a good thing. Like we need to be stretched, but that's why I think the first hand, the first ham, the first Damn. hymn was so uh, critical in like setting the tone. And Phil, you said uh, I'm surprised "Lord of the Dance" made it in the hymnal. I like. I never thought about it. We grew I grew up singing it. I thought it I think I think of that hymn as like the quintessential Methodist hymn. It was the thing that distinguished us from the Baptist.
0: Yeah, I mean it was um, Lord of the Dance was very controversial to be included in the 1989 hymnal. Um, which probably why, you know, Mitchell you and I don't think that it's controversial because it's almost as old as we are um, <laughs> yeah. like that's that's a whole other conversation is
2: okay was so the old guy here <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: by like a year right
0: um but yeah I mean the the concept that not only that Jesus danced but that Jesus was the dance mm-hmm. was very um, new to people very hippie <laughs> and um, unwelcome I think in some circles yeah but And this was also during the movement, when the hymn was written, it was during the movement when liturgical dance was becoming um, not just something that was used uh, and celebrated in the black church, but also it was becoming, um, white people were starting to realize how beautiful and powerful dance could be in expressing themselves. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of history in that. And I say this a lot. I mean, my choir members know this. Lord of the Dance is, is one of the few hymns that um, I feel like always needs to be sung in full. There are some hymns that I, because of with, time or yeah. because I want to focus on specific words, I'll just use one or two of the stanzas. But Lord of the Dance really tells a complete story from the cosmic Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. I danced in the morning when the world was begun. The Christ that existed at the Big Bang all the way to... Uh, I am the Lord of the dance forever. You know, I'll lead you all to the end of time. So it's the only hymn that we sing regularly that talks about uh, Christ throughout millennia. Eons. Alpha,
1: Alpha, Omega Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. I, and that's just such a rich context in history that if you aren't paying attention, you probably just, you might be caught off with the idea of dance in general in the hymn. But like, that, that's just, yeah, it makes it so much more. Rich. And I love that. So every time we sing it, I'm always, I'm always cut off guard. I'm like, I just love this song. It's so fabulous.
1: It is fabulous. Uh, it's also, yeah, I think Rebecca's right. Like there was this like probably hippie. It was a little too hippie for folks, but it's actually rooted in really good theology, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just peel it back. Right. And, uh, Phil, what was the Greek word?
2: Perichoresis.
1: Yes. This idea of the Trinity as a dance.
2: Divine dance. Yeah, Richard Rohr has a book on that called The Divine Dance. Um, yeah, it's the idea that the Trinity isn't something that's often distant, but something that you're invited to into to be a part of, right? And I think that the beauty of that is dance is both sporadic and also has structure and form to it. You know, it's always a constant dance of both of those things where there's the the opportunity for improvisation as well as like having this beautiful structured mentality. So it's just a, a really cool moving beyond the dualistic understanding of this to, to this thing. It's just pretty pretty fun and pretty uh way more interesting than a doctrine that says God is one and three and three and one.
0: Yeah, because I think it's lived. I mean you got it that Phil in mm. your prayer. Breathe in, breathe out, right? The spirit is breath. What yeah. do you need when you dance? You get out of breath. You need yeah. to breathe deeper, right? I mean they're all connected. Mm-hmm. Um because they're lived and that's what I think is so important um, when we talk about creeds being corporate, and y'all mm-hmm. talked about this in the, the pre-service, um, part of the point of worshiping communally, I, I know so many people who say, well, I don't need church, I just worship on my own, or, you know, nature is my church, or, um, which is it's all true, nature is supremely sacred, but we need that community because creeds are corporate, and confession is corporate. Right. Right. Um, and we may not personally believe everything in the creed, or we may not personally need to confess everything in the confession, but we bind together as a community. Yeah, That's the point. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a selflessness in naming the communal nature of worship.
2: Yeah, I love that.
1: Which inherently is, you know, radical and revolutionary in and of itself, right? Like when we set aside the personal preferences of worship for the communal need of worship, like, I think that's where we're getting into to really understanding our, um, our collective power and the movement of the Holy spirit. And
0: that's what I think is so challenging about these days, um, is we, we try so hard to stay connected, but it is very isolating. And so it is much easier even than normal. Um, I always say, Let's try to change the question. You know, people come to me, not, not uh, a lot, but some, somewhat. They come to me and say, I didn't like this hymn, or I didn't like this, or why did you do this? Right. And I always try to challenge them to change the question from did I like it to how is God's spirit moving? How is the person sitting next to me in the pew affected by this hymn even if you don't like it and that's a little harder when we don't have when we're kind of in our own echo chambers of Mm -hmm. you know our spouse who thinks like us or our kids who just follow wherever we lead or whatever um it's hard it's hard to to tap into that communal push and pull of believing in a rich non-binary way yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. Mm. I'm not going to try to add anything to that because you just nailed it. No need for me to mansplain everything that you just said very well. That was good. Um, so so moving down, right? Continuing on through what we kind of went through worship-wise. Mitchell, you, you chose this, I'm assuming you chose this Matthew text with the idea of, of having Peter um, stepping out of the boat. I think whenever you brought it up in the halftime show before worship even began, I was like, Oh, this is such a phenomenal example. And like, um, manifestation of what, what belief really is. Right. Cause we talked about it some, that belief is more than just an intellectual practice, but really is like something that, that brings about action. And you get that perfectly with Peter.
1: Yeah, you do. Flawed and all, right. That's why totally. Peter's, and- that's why Peter's like us, you know, we, we look back and we read P- about Peter and we're like, ah, oh, what a bumbling idiot, right? But the truth <laughs> is, like, Peter is a, is the mirror. And what I love about that story is that, yeah, Peter gets out of the boat and actually succeeds at walking on water for a brief moment, right? And I, like I said in my sermon, give me a church full of people who are willing to get out of the boat. Yeah. Um, because that's what belief really is about, You can intellectually see Jesus on the water and be like, man, Jesus is walking on the water. He really must be the son of God. Um, But if you, um, you know, if you're unable to actually move from seeing that and believing that to getting out of the boat, then I think we're in a we're in a tough spot.
2: And that's why I love so much this idea of process of salvation. Right. Like because it is this. Getting out of the boat and like having success and then falling and then getting out of the boat and having success and then fall. You know, like it's a continual. We see it in the Psalms too, right? Like orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Like there's this continual process. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come. You know, like there's this this continual cycle and process that we see over and over again through Scripture and through the liturgies, um, that just gets played out in so many ways and. And so I thought this is a really beautiful representation of that through the scriptures that were chosen, the music that was chosen, and then the, the sermon too. So, um,
0: to circle like- back um, a little bit to this notion of like um, justification, you know, the the prevenient grace and then justifying grace. Um, we talked a little bit about like we don't we can't stop with the belonging, Mitchell, and I think that you speak to a very true thing. Uh, that's a trap that I see a lot of well-meaning progressive churches fall into Mm -hmm. is, um, we deconstruct what we perceive to be bad theology, whether it actually is or not, that's up for debate, but we perceive it to be, Mm -hmm. um, and we stop with the deconstruction and we don't take the time or do the, like put in the work to reconstruct theology in its place. We just stop with, well, everybody's welcome. Well, welcome to what though? Mm -hmm. I mean... Everybody's welcome. Great. I'm so glad to be in a big open field with people. But where's the shelter? Where's the plumbing? Where's yeah. where are the you know, yeah. where's the structure that's going to keep us safe from the elements? Right. I mean, I think that that's such an important move from belongingness to believing. Yeah, Um. That we can't stop there.
1: It's a, it's a it's a well placed trap. You're right. It is a huh. trap. It it is uh it is luring, because I think it's missing in so many areas. So it feels like we've arrived when we have created that yeah. space,
0: right? But we think unf- we're done, and yeah, we're not done.
1: We're not done. We're not we're never done with that pursuit. And when we tell people that we're done, or when we start to live like we are done, we're actually beginning to die. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that is why movement uh in this process um the way of salvation for wesley right is is movement and its action and we eventually have to get to a place where we have some definition and i think that's what believe is you know like the choice to cross the threshold into structure is really an important one and it doesn't mean that you have to run off this you know catalog of i believe that i believe that i believe that i believe that okay now you can enter right It does mean though, that you have to say, I, I need something else and that something else is Jesus, right? I need the gospel more than I need anything else. And when we're willing to make that choice, then we can get into the debates in the living room or the parlor or wherever you want to, whatever bad house, home metaphor you want to use about where the debates happen, if it's in the kitchen or across the kitchen table, whatever, we can have those really good debates, but the best, the the best challenging that we have is when we're challenged with people we trust and not hold it over us to not say you have to get out now. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's why belonging is, is so important, but you know, those things don't happen on the front porch. You've got to move into the home and moving into the home is, is I think scary because we've, we've made it such a big deal that Mm -hmm. we've tried to like, we try to police who who enters the home and or not, and that's yeah. where we get into trouble.
0: Unfortunately, I mean the reason that people rebel against this very very rightly so is that it's become a members only. Whether that's yeah. a boys club and women aren't allowed, yeah. or a whites only and people of color aren't allowed, it's it's very easy for that home to become members only. But I think
2: or progressives know, we right we
0: lose something. We lose something when when we don't try to, to recreate that. I was also going to (laughs) share, I was laughing because my mom was uh, a minister of worship for 40 years. And she shared a story one time, many, many years ago, of this uh, woman who came up to her after worship and said very proudly and defiantly, My faith is just the same today as it was 60 years ago. <laughs> and without missing a beat, my mom said, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> right. And like, I, that just makes me chuckle, you know. And my mom did it in a very loving and kind of gently chiding way. But what a good reminder that right. we are not supposed to be where we were 60 yeah. years ago. We are are supposed to grow
1: yeah yeah i totally and that growth then um i think best happens within some container right um the open field i think is really beautiful uh imagery rebecca because we we really like open fields and we need them and there's not enough of them let's talk about dallas there's not enough green space in dallas we need places to congregate we need places to feel free we need places that can allow us to explore but we do need shelter because the yeah. storm's gonna come, right? We, we, we live in this world where the storm's coming and uh, it's gonna show up um, in a variety of ways and we need a place where we can find safety, rest, um, protection, um, and, and I think that progressives are just inherently bad about thinking that the open field's gonna give us all we need. Hmm. Now, uh, and then, you know, my more conservative friends the ones who who like to talk about my lack of sin talk um uh, will get in a debate about how large the door is right and i think that is that's a good conversation for us to have it's one of the reasons i've loved what what you've done with the the membership vows i mean think about that we added to the membership vows we added questions which is unheard of uh no one does that um <laughs> And, and the reason we did it is cause we were like, it was this kind of both. And as, as Rebecca says a lot, like, um, or yes. And right. Like these are the traditional questions we want you to answer them. They are very important. You know, like nothing replaces those. And there's something about our community that we need you also to affirm. Yeah. And I think those questions if, if answered correctly are the proper width of the entrance, right? Like, Obviously that's what we think because that's what we did. But like that threshold is wide enough to allow a lot of folks in and narrow enough to make it a defined space where we feel like we can uh, truly be in community together, but it's up for debate, I guess, you know, like I'll have the debate about, do we need to add more or less? Do we need to create more space? I know that that popped up on the Facebook, Phil. Old Facebooks during how, worship. How big should the,
2: yeah. the door be or the gate be or whatever? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So this is, this is ridiculous, but can I read a poem?
1: we have never had yes, one still. on the podcast, but yes, you
2: can. <laughs> so talking about shelter, so one of my favorite poets is from Northern Ireland. Actually, he's from the Republic of Ireland, but he lives in Northern Ireland now in Belfast. And he actually wrote a book called In the Shelter. Um, and he talks about how in Irish, the word for shelter and shadow is the same. Uh, and so as you were sitting here talking about this idea of shelter, it just, it kept taking me back to this poem. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read it cause I'm a, a nerd, but, um, so it's, it's called a, po- a prayer of shelter and shadow. By? Eh? Who's it by? Oh, Padraig Otuma. Okay. Which is a lovely Irish name, isn't it? Isn't that fun? So yeah, a prayer of shelter and shadow. And then the first line is in Irish I'm not going to try to read because I don't read Irish, but this is what it says. It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. It is in the shadow of each other that the people live. So that's the Irish. The Irish translation could be either one. And then it goes on to say, we know that sometimes we are alone and sometimes we are in community. Sometimes we are in shadow and sometimes we are surrounded by shelter. Sometimes we feel like exiles in our own land, in our own languages, and in our own bodies, and sometimes we feel surrounded by welcome. As we seek to be human together, may we share the things that do not fade, generosity, truth telling, silence, respect, and love, and may the power we share be for the good of all. We honor God, the source of this rich life, and we honor each other, story full and lovely, whether in our shadow or in our shelter, may we live well and fully with each other. Amen. Amen. And that Honey. comes from his daily prayer with the Corey Miller community, which is where he used to be the theologian and resident at, um, in Corey Miller, which is a recon- a peace and reconciliation organization in Belfast. But, um, <clears throat> it just took me back again, it took me back to the idea that, you know, there's always this, this process of stepping out and providing shelter and being within shelter. And then also this process of stepping out and being in shadow and falling and, um, It's, it's never, they're never independent, right? Like we're always going to be feeling and experiencing both. And I think that the only way we survive that is in community with one another together. Mm. Because imagine Peter stepping out and Jesus not actually being there. What happens? (laughs) These these things, right?
0: Well, that's interesting too. I mean, so I know we talked about this several weeks ago, but I read, um, Rachel Held Evans last book that she wrote inspired and one of the chapters each chapter begins with a little kind of imaginative storylet, and one of the chapters begins with sort of a choose your own adventure um of a modern take on that scene of Peter Mm -hmm. in the boat um and it says if you get out of the boat go to page you know 42 if you stay in the boat go to the page and it's really interesting I would encourage y'all to read Uh. it we can can we link it in the show notes?
1: Yes, show notes.
0: So, Because it's interesting. I mean, it's like it's talking about these are choices that, we, that are still applicable. Um, what happens if you get out of the boat? What happens if you get out of the boat and then you start sinking? Who's going to grab you if not Jesus, right? Is somebody else from the boat going to jump in and get you? So it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, we don't really get that. Uh, we don't get that kind of. The, the text itself like moves too quickly, like Jesus immediately, right? I mean, there's like, um, there's a lot of quickness to the story, but it is interesting. Like what, what, <laughs> what the folks in the boat, like have reached out and got him, yeah. you know, what his, what his fellow disciples have, have saved him or were they uh, paying attention and not paying attention? I, you know, it's just, there's a lot there.
2: Did they feel shame for not stepping out also? Like... The, right, there's so many fun things to do with scripture when you start playing with it this way, and I feel like we've lost so much of that from what the rabbis did back in the, totally. the Hebrew scriptures and stuff. Totally,
1: you can make an argument that uh, Jesus is offering the disciples an opportunity to step out, a step out of the metaphorical boat over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and still, Peter steps out at the very end of uh, Jesus's life, steps out, and then immediately gets back in and kind of covers himself and hides. Well, that doesn't bode well for this whole process thing, does it?
2: <laughs> sure it does. Because again, it's continual. Like it's a continued process and it's success and failure It's success and failure. And, yeah. And it allows us to then have more grace for each other too. Recognizing that if I'm going to do this, I was my friend and my spouse and my partner and my hopefully kids. right god bless my kids yeah
1: well that's a good place because that's where we'll pick up next week with this idea of becoming what's the process like and if we made the decision cross the threshold do the dance then we're uh we've gotta we've gotta figure it out so
2: when in when in doubt dance
1: is that a shania twain song
2: if it's not it should be
1: what's that country song about dancing
2: I hope you dance. Ah, uh,
1: yeah.
2: I don't remember who wrote it though, I don't know who sang it. That
1: was really big when I was in middle school. That one was played at every every school dance. dance.
2: <laughs> Should that be our outro music? Is that what we're gonna do? Is I hope you dance now. <laughs> edit, edit, our our outro.
1: Uh, no, we can do better. That's
2: gonna. Than s- that. I'm gonna start working that into every benediction that I do at the church.
1: Like I w- worked in uh, a Jehovah reference in my beginning of my sermon, you're just gonna work in uh, Sh- Shania Twain or the Chicks.
2: Rebecca songs. and I definitely looked at each other and we were like, did he just quote Jay Z in the opening yeah. of the sermon? <laughs> yep, that was that was odd. That was a- you missed his sermon. Go back and hear Jay Z.
0: And it- then. Like back to back too with balsamic reduction, I was like, "This is going to be an interesting day."
1: <laughs> I told y'all, I was all over the place with that one. But you know who loved the Hova reference, the Jay Z reference, was uh, Jake. He sent me a a GIF, a, a GIF, <laughs> and he he loved it.
2: I'm not a businessman.
1: I'm a business I'm a business man. man.
2: All right, friends. Yeah. Until next time. Until next time.
0: Take care.
1: Bye. You're listening to a podcast recorded at White Rock United Methodist Church in the heart of East Dallas. For more information, you can find us at WRUMC.org. And make sure you stay subscribed to this channel to stay up to date with all of our content.